Welcome to the Cybersecurity Matters podcast, a series of interviews with key leaders throughout the industry, all brought to you by the cybersecurity team at NUCO, a specialist global recruitment and executive search firm. Welcome to the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Your hosts today are two members of the cybersecurity team here at NUCO, me, Harry Baldwin, and Daisy Steele, and we're delighted to be joined today by Abhishek Singh. As co-founder of CEO of Arali Networks, Abhishek has 25 years experience in cybersecurity, zero, zero trust, cloud security, engineering, and business. Abhishek was previously the co-founder and VP of engineering at Cetration Analytics, where he led the team to build a data center scale platform to enable micro-segmentation and security in a virtual machine environment. Prior to Tetration, he held engineering leadership positions at Aruba, Cisco, and Ericsson. Welcome to the show, Abhishek. Thank you, Harry. Delighted to be here. Yeah, really pleased to have you on. Um, We always ask our guests the first question, um, the same first question, and that's how did you first get into cybersecurity? It was by chance, Harry. I was... Uh, not destined to be in cybersecurity. It was a chance encounter. I used to come from a networking telecom background. And at some point, the network was the centerpiece of security. And in my case, what happened was I was into data path and uh, doing things at line rate. And that is how the routing world was evolving. Routers used to be all software and then they became hardware. And when deep packet inspection technologies came about, they wanted to do security in hardware. And that is how I entered cybersecurity for a company called Packet Motion. And they wanted to use Intel's uh, deep packet inspection engines. And given my data path background and ability to do routing in hardware, they found my skills to be uh, resounding. And that was my entry into cybersecurity. Fantastic. Great, thank you. And um, just kind of onto some questions about your past. Um, who or um, what was your biggest influence in your career? So entrepreneurs have been a big influence. When I came to US, uh, and I, I come from a country like India where my parents, uh, I grew up seeing them retire in a government job. So that is how I was uh, raised. So when I came here, I wanted to retire in a company called Fujitsu. Uh, knowing little that I would end up in a, a startup-like environment. So my first company, Torrent, uh, which was pre-packet motion, actually the networking company was acquired by Ericsson and I saw some entrepreneurs there and that was inspiring. So, and that was something I'd never experienced before. So for someone growing up in a country like India, we had no exposure to what entrepreneurship meant. So that was a very uh, eye-opening, inspiring experience, something that I wanted to do myself later in my career. Uh, and over time, there have been a lot of leaders who have inspired, and Steve Jobs obviously is a person who inspires a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, and he has been an inspiration for me also. I like the clarity of his thinking, the essentialism that he represents, and uh, and I draw a lot of inspiration from uh, people like Steve Jobs. Yeah, fascinating. And um, what achievement are you most proud of? So it was a dream for me to want to start a company, but uh, actually doing it uh, and experiencing it has been very fulfilling. Uh, so my latest company, Arali, uh, uh, I had a prior experience with titration, but this time it was grounds up all the way from, from the grounds up. And that has been a very fulfilling experience for me, regardless of how the company ends up, right? The whole experience of building something that I wanted to build has been extremely uh, fulfilling. and having a team 
recruited on the mission to change the world right that has that has been truly uh, worthwhile yeah can imagine amazing and um tell us about your journey of founding arali networks and the participation in the rsa sandbox final of 2022 yeah arali is a very uh, different type of company i have struggled with security for 20 years and the problem statement has not changed when i was at packet motion uh, we said we'll show who does what on the network and we still talk the same problem it has not been solved so after having made various attempts as a builder it intrigued me as to why these problems are so hard to solve so we have really thought about uh, how foundationally these can be built from the ground up uh, and and that has been the journey of Arali. Uh, I have a networking background and security has been a network play for a long time. But that is where the problem was, right? So how do you bring security where it actually belongs? So we have created security as an overlay, uh, not tied to the networks, but as an overlay plane that can be applied post-facto after the networking has been established. And that allows us to be more identity-centric, more context-aware, and that makes security possible. So again, the problem statement has not changed, but how do you foundationally fix it right? And, and that has been a journey of ours. And that fixes a lot of things. If you, if you start afresh, how things ought to have been, that simplifies a lot of band-aids that have been applied over the years in the security space. For example, prevention and detect and response, they're two different silos. Prevention, you have something like follow um, alter networks. Detect and response is a crowd strike problem. And they live in very different worlds. When you get an alert from detect and response, you don't know what to do with it. You kind of spend your time uh, triaging it, ending with a false positive. And then you don't know how to respond to them. But when you foundationally fix things, a same abstraction can power so many use cases, prevent, detect, response. And that has been our journey. And uh, networking is a lost art, right? So networking used to be the centerpiece of security, not anymore. These days in cloud, people think networking is an Amazon problem. So they need not worry about it, which is not right. So that focus of ours, of how to bring networking concepts in the modern cloud world uh, is what led us to RSA. And we're very pleased to have been selected uh, because in spite of the crowded space that security is, our product and our and our uh, approach is very different. It's very distinctive, very uh, very uncommon. So people uh, chase buzzwords and the latest uh, buzz of the day, right? But we have taken a very disciplined foundational approach to how security ought to have been. A very old problem like zero trust that has been talked about for 10, 15 years, but it still uh, is considered uh, vapor or smoke uh, thing, right? And nobody actually believes it can be done. But we have tried to create a solution out of a strategy. People say zero trust is a strategy, not a solution. And the reason it, it is a strategy, there is no manifestation of zero trust. It's a pipe dream. And we have tried to get those concepts uh, working on the ground in a very simple way. And, and we're very pleased that uh, at RSA, we were recognized for uh, what we were doing. And, and very different from the crowd in terms of the problems we are chasing. So people are very enamored with vulnerability management. And our main pitch here is you'll always be vulnerable. No matter how hard you try, you'll, you can never be perfect. Perfection is a goal, but it can never be achieved. And security is not about perfection. It's about being resilient. You have some imperfections and you, that causes trouble. 
How can you be resilient? That's the language of zero trust. So while the world is chasing vulnerability management and application security, we were chasing resilience, exploitability. You'll be vulnerable, but how can you not be exploitable? How can you save the day in spite of being vulnerable? And that's a very different approach that we have taken. And again, it is the language of zero trust, but not too many companies are able to chase that and, and, and get that to work. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, some some really great, great to hear about some of the key aspects of your career so far and, and love the kind of explanation around, around resiliency there. I mean, you kind of alluded to it there, but you've got a really strong background in, in networking, in zero trust, in cloud security and vulnerability management. Um, and zero trust, I think, can be sometimes a hard thing to kind of grasp, your, grasp, put your head around, if you like. Could you explain to the listeners what zero trust is and what do you see as the biggest business benefit of implementing it? Yeah, zero trust has become a buzzword, right? So zero trust, people say trust nothing. And any security where you do something becomes zero trust. But zero trust fundamentally is a networking concept. And the concept is actually very simple. It's a castle and moat problem where you have a castle and a moat around it. It's called a perimeter. Everything inside the castle is trusted. Everything outside is untrusted. If you have to come into the castle, you come through a firewall and then you are trusted again. The inside is trusted, outside is untrusted. The problem with that approach is you have to be perfect. If there's one guy coming in through your moat, you're in trouble. If one Trojan horse seeps in, you're in trouble. So the zero trust idea is don't rely on that perfection of a perimeter. So have your controls inside out so that even if your environment is not pristine, every resource can defend itself. Because the inside is not any cleaner than what you would want it to be, right? So it is a networking concept. The reliance on perimeter security and having an open interior is, is what uh, is Zero Trust is all about. And again, cloud, Zero Trust is also about identities. So in cloud, things are very identity centric and it's very Zero Trust friendly. So in cloud, things are denied by default. If you want to expose anything on the internet, it's denied by default. You have to explicitly open it up. On-prem, it was open by default. So within the premise, everything is open, everything is accessible. In cloud, not so much, right? So everything has to be exposed explicitly. Similarly for IAM in cloud, you have to explicitly expose something. However, egress is open. And that is the problem with zero trust. It's too hard to close down egress. So if someone is already inside, going out is free. You go to San Francisco, show your toe, going out is free. So it's a one-way toll. The egress path is free. And that is what attackers abuse today. So in spite of cloud being very different, very novel, very thought through upfront, egress is open. And that is the fundamental problem in terms of not being zero trust. Zero trust is denied by default. Only allow things by policy, even for internal resources. But when you have an open egress, that, that changes the whole situation. Yeah, fantastic. No, really interesting. And you kind of touched on on cloud security there. You know, why do you think it's become, um, you know, one of the most talked about areas? And what do you see as the biggest challenges in securing the cloud itself? So the real question is, is cloud more secure, right? And that is a, the biggest thing that people need to understand. And there is no straight answer. The cloud is not more secure. And depending on who you ask, they will give you a different answer, right? So many people believe cloud is more secure because Amazon has done a lot of good work. Other cloud providers have followed suit and they have done good things upfront. But the real rub there is, it's as secure as you make it to be. 
because security is a shared responsibility and Amazon is very clear about it. And that is the real only thing to remember. Cloud is a shared responsibility. It's as secure as you make it to be. So Amazon has not secured it for you. They're saying we have given you the tools to make it secure, but they have not done it. It's your responsibility to, to actually walk the talk. And that is hard coming from an on-prem background, going into cloud where there is new paradigms like IAM, this and that, right? It's very hard to fulfill your shared responsibility. And if you have not done so, cloud is not more secure. The other part is if cloud is not very secure, it should be unsafe. There should be a lot of breaches going on. So there are many things there, right? One is that you live in bliss. Maybe there are things going on and you're not aware of. The other thing is there are easier grounds for attackers. So today on-prem windows is a fertile ground for attackers to be doing things. They have not exploited cloud. So at some point, things like solar wind supply chain attack used to be a science fiction, right? The cloud is like that. It's waiting to explode, waiting to happen, but it's not secure. It's just that they have not pivoted their attention there. They're still trying to go after Windows workloads on-prem. The moment they come to cloud, there's a lot to be had. Yeah, 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 fantastic. And and me and you kind of spoke about the rise of, of businesses like Wiz, you know, in that in that vulnerable vulnerability management space. Why do you think businesses like Wiz have had have had such success over the last few years? So the reason Wiz has been successful is because of simplicity, right? So security has been very difficult, very cumbersome over the years. And what again, Wiz was not a leading company there. Orca was the first company who came out, right? They said agentless. And that was very fulfilling for someone, right? They give you a cloud account and without any agents, they go and survey it and show you visibility. And that was the ease of use itself was very compelling. My problem with that approach is you're saying that this is your cloud posture. You're vulnerable. I know I'm vulnerable. I did not need to see a picture to get that insight, right? The thing is now what? How do I not become exploitable? How do I remediate my vulnerabilities? And that is still a hard problem. Why am I vulnerable? Because cloud was hard. IAM was too difficult. It was, it was cumbersome, which is why I was vulnerable. So showing me that visibility is not helping me become less vulnerable. I'm becoming aware of something I always was. So the thing we focus on is remediation. Yeah, you are vulnerable, but how can you be unexploitable with a single click? And that's the language of zero trust. The reason Wiz again became so popular, ease of install. And in, in a world that was cumbersome, hard to work with, their user experience, time to value is, is unspoken. I mean, they, within 10 minutes, you start seeing insights, get visibility into your bad posture, but now what? Yeah. Yeah, no, really interesting. Yeah, thanks so much for the insight there. On to our key topic that matters um, and something that everyone is always talking about at the moment, which is AI. Um, what do you? What does the future hold for cybersecurity and its relationship with AI? Yeah, I'll, I'll answer a more generic question. <laughs> How does AI relate to security, right? So security, yeah. like I said, it's an unsolved problem for the last 20, 25 years. There have been breaches going on. It keeps happening every year and number of problems keep growing. And any new technology ever come, coming out is applied to security because this is a fertile ground for problems to solve. So when people started doing uh, network processors, and that is how I entered the security space. So network processor was a new novelty applied to security. So let's apply every new technology to security. When AI ML came out, I talked about use cases, always security, because it's a problem waiting to be solved. The problem with AI, ML, and security is, I, I say it's garbage in, garbage out. You can, you can have machine learning models, 
But if you don't train it with good data, you'll not get good results. The other thing about AI, ML, and security is uh, you have video cameras, and that is a good second, third line of defense. You can see what intruder comes in and all that. It can't replace your lock. So zero trust is like your lock on the door. And your camera can be a second line that even with a lock, someone will come in and you want to monitor that person, right? But if you don't have a lock and you're relying on AI ML to solve your problems, it's hard. So there is value for AI ML and I have no disagreements there, but it, it is a second, third line of defense. We have forgotten to create the first line of defense and we have leapfrogged into the second, third line, which doesn't work. The other problem with AI ML is no, the very nature of AI ML, there is precision and recall false positive and false negative. A 0.1% false positive, false negative will create such an alert storm that you will just go crazy dealing with it, right? So again, AIML is your second, third line of defense, but with bad data, the problem gets worse. The newer trend of chat GPT generative AI uh, is a very interesting one. And I think it's the long-term, AI has a place in security. It's the second, third line of defense. It has a place in long-term because long-term we want autonomous stuff. We want autonomous security, self-defending networks. And that is where generative AI can replace humans to automate what humans would be doing and losing sleep over, right? So that potential exists. It will take some time. It's not, time is not now. And if we try to automate uh, garbage, that's not the right use of our resources. You throw a lot of resources at trying to automate bad things. So you have to fundamentally, foundationally fix things. And automating that is value. Automating useless things is wasting resources. Now you're burning trees and all kinds of things in, in, in generative AI. It takes a lot of CPU, a lot of resources, a lot of power. It's important to kind of bring good data in. So you automate the right things. But long term, things like generative AI, chat GPT have a potential to create an autonomous self-defending network. But it starts with building the right foundation and then automating that. You don't automate and then fix your foundation. You fix the foundation and then bring automation as a second, third line of uh, activity. Yeah, fantastic. And do you feel that kind of generative AI that you mentioned is, is one of the biggest developments in the security industry? And if so, why? I don't see it that way. I think generative AI is the biggest development in our industry. And like I said, every new technology wants to do security day one, right? And it will have an impact on security, but I'm saying it's it's not there yet. The impact will take time, but from a technology ecosystem point of view, it is the biggest trend of our times. And the biggest reason why that is relevant is not security. And again, people try to retrofit it because security is an unsolved problem and they all want to see something being done with new technology on security. But the biggest reason why generative AI is interesting is for text, images. That's where AI has been most useful, cat images, right? So that is where AI can understand human interactions, whether it's through images, through text, and then respond to it. Security is, is definitely an area that can benefit from it. But I'm saying let's clean the foundation first. And there is nothing generative AI can do today that will actually help the cause. But as, an, as a technology, as an industry, it is revolutionary in terms of what it can do. And it will, it will have an impact on security, but this is, not the, this is not a technology built for security for its current needs today. That is what I'm not, not agreeing to. 
Yeah, no, fascinating. Um, now to kind of cover a different topic, and that is diversity. Um, what do you think can be done to improve diversity within the cybersecurity industry? The cybersecurity industry fortunately has been more diverse than others, uh, not in terms of the gender diversity, but in terms of skill diversity. So there are uh, people, so today some CISOs report into the CFO, and that is unheard of, right? So it's not a technologist game. Uh, you have to understand business. You have to have a board seat. So cybersecurity has been diverse from a talent perspective. Not everyone is a PhD in computer science. Some people have a business background. Some people have a very varied background. Some people have a practitioner background. So from a skill talent perspective, it has been very diverse from the very beginning. Gender-wise, not so much. But you do see that being addressed and that being uh, visibly seen you see a lot of female CISOs coming up. I have done my part. I've contributed two daughters into this field and uh, my daughters are uh, uh, happy to uh, take the baton forward, right? So I've done my bit. There's a lot more to be done, but I think uh, cybersecurity in general has been more diverse and I see senior leadership uh, being female. There's a lot of uh, diversity activities that I can see uh, and, and, and again, in the venture world, in the CISO world, there are enough people to kind of pull things forward. So I, I see a bright future for diversity in cybersecurity uh, more than other uh, technology sectors. Wow, that's great. What do your daughters do in cybersecurity? My elder one is a security engineer at Marketa. Uh, so, oh, wow. Yeah, so... And my, uh, and my younger one is studying uh, uh, com computer science at uh, University of Washington. And there are three, four areas she can go into. Uh, that program, it's actually called informatics. Uh, so one is user interface. The other one is cybersecurity. And I don't know where she'll end up. There's a strong possibility. In fact, she's interning uh, at Workday as a product for cybersecurity team. So there is some cybersecurity potential already in the blood. So again, I did not influence any of it, but uh, they ended up that way. Yeah, no, it, feel, it feels like it's it's kind of increasing, but it still feels, I don't know about what your thoughts are on it, but it still feels like youth participation in cybersecurity is still, is still relatively low, right? Again, not picking on cybersecurity, it's low in general, right? Uh, in cybersecurity, there is, I think, enough leadership that is pulling things up. I see forums uh, in cybersecurity. So I'm actually pretty encouraged. So uh, the diversity problem is not specific to cybersecurity. Uh, in fact, there is more diversity in cybersecurity than other fields that I can see right now. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for the insight. Um, and now for our, to kind of bring it back to you and let our listeners learn a bit more about you outside of work. Um, you know, what, what, what would you be getting up to on your perfect weekend? I, I choose to focus because to do an entrepreneur stint, right? You have to be very focused on your job, but I'm not limited by skills. Uh, I, I can do a lot of things. I, I These days I go for walks and hikes and I enjoy traveling a lot. Uh, so even in spite of my hard work, I, I do travel because my wife also loves to travel. Uh, most weekends we go up high, hiking somewhere. So hiking has been a thing. I can play tennis. We do karaoke once a month. Uh, I can ski, I can swim. I have no dearth of things I can do, but I 
I'm not able to do most of them. What I end up doing is hiking for the most part. And yeah, we, we, we have a karaoke group. So we sing once a month at least. So that keeps me engaged. Uh, what, what's your go-to song? What song are you singing on the karaoke? It's mostly Bollywood Hindi songs. So uh-huh. I'm not so good with uh, English songs. Oh, nice. There's a rich uh, collection and tradition of uh, Bollywood songs. That is mostly what I, I do. Oh, cool. Awesome. Well, look, on, on to the quick fire round. Um, uh, basically, we're going to give you two options and you've got to pick one of them. You've got you to think really on your feet here. Uh, mountains or beaches? That's a tough one, uh, but mountains. RSA or Black Hat? Black Hat. Windows or Mac? Mac. AWS or Azure? AWS. Reading the book or seeing the movie? Movie. Startup or established company? Startup. Nice, yeah. I, I could have guessed a couple of those, but it was good to know. Um, our guest final question is always the same. What one piece of advice would you give to someone entering the industry? It's very important to find your passion. And when you find it, work will not seem as work. And that is very important for anyone in any industry. So, uh, and it's difficult. It's not normal. People hear that advice all the time. Uh, but if you are sincere, you'll find it. And uh, people will tell you what, what you're good at. And that's what you were meant to be. So sometimes there is a discrepancy between aspiration and uh, capabilities, right? So your capabilities are your true self. You might aspire to be someone, but you have to heed to your natural talent and your reason for being. And once you find it and you make peace with it, life will never be the same. Yeah. No, fantastic. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you so much for your time today, Abhishek. Great to hear your thoughts and insights. Real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, Daisy. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more people. For more information about NUCO, we can be found at www.nuco-group.com. That's N-E-U-C-O hyphen group dot com.